Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today is the Beacon Journal's Unresolved series of stories about unresolved murders that go back decades, and in this particular case, involves a young Marine who was killed while at home in Copley Township at a drive-in movie theater. We'll take a look at the latest developments in the case and whether it might ever be solved. Stephanie Warsmith, our reporter who's worked on the project, will be joining us. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. The aftermath of a severe water main break in downtown Akron continues to be felt as businesses were without power for days and also without heat as complications from the repairs of the water main continue to be felt throughout the city. We had a team of reporters who took a look at this story and are continuing to look at the aging infrastructure in downtown Akron. And our reporters continue to track the Omicron variant as it impacts Northeast Ohio and Ohio in general. Reporter Doug Livingston took a look at the numbers and found that 65% of Ohio's unvaccinated or are overdue for the COVID booster as the Omicron variant continues to surge southward in the state. And finally, reporter Phil Karen continues to take a look at the controversy in Hudson involving textbooks and also books that are in the school library. Three new titles have been added to those who are being targeted by a parent group who want them taken off the shelves. One book has already been added to the list that is no longer available for students to take out. BeaconJournal.com and all of our apps always feature updated headlines and more on these stories and other subscriber-exclusive content that you simply can't find anywhere else. For today's podcast, we're joined by Stephanie Warson, one of my colleagues, who is, um, in addition to her many other hats she wears, uh, her, her full-time job and her other full-time job and this full-time job in, in this business, she is um, part of a project called Unresolved. So so welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Craig. It's uh, good to be here again. So depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening early on, maybe you haven't quite seen it yet, or if you're a, a print subscriber, um, you'll see it in an upcoming edition. But we're we're talking about the the latest, um, we'll call them chapters, right? I mean, it it almost is like a like a like a book that that you and and a, a former colleague of ours, and I guess she's still a colleague of yours because you're working with her on this project, um, or Paula Schleiss. Um, what, what's the latest chapter? So we've, uh, for the Unresolved series so far, we've uh, taken a look at seven cases, um, and these are unsolved, either homicides or missing persons cases from the Akron area. And the latest one is about a murder involving uh, Jeffrey Sauber. And uh, Jeff was a Marine back um, in uh, 1980. He had come home from his um, his basic training for his first leave back to Lawrence Township, and he was murdered at a drive-in theater in, in Coventry Township, uh, stabbed by a man who, by uh, all accounts, as far as we know, he didn't know. They exchanged words. This guy stabbed him, and he fell down and, and died a short time later. 
So as you said, it, it remains um, unsolved. And so I guess I'm kind of curious how these things work. I mean, what do you what do you do in your own research? Is it all strictly looking at old files and old stories? Um, do you reach out to the principals also? Yeah, so for uh, we come across these cases in a couple different ways. Some of them are, are ones that that we hear about or aware of because uh, Paula, as you mentioned, my uh, kind of uh, partner in crime on this, um, has a podcast called Ohio Mysteries. And so some of these are cases that, that she was interested in taking another look at because she had done a podcast on them previously. We also get tips for on cases from law enforcement who are like, uh, hey, you know, why don't you take a look at this case because we'd really like to get some movement on it. And then we also have victims, family members, and readers who reach out and say, hey, you know, I've always wondered, like one of them was on a woman named Leslie Barker, who was an Akron school teacher who was found burned up in her car. And I remember that was one that a reader um, just said, hey, I went to school with her, and I always wonder what happened with that case. So that was one of the um, the ones that we, we did in the, in the past uh, seven months, I guess, that we've been doing these. So they kind of come to us from a variety of sources. We try to at least talk to law enforcement, and we try to talk to a friend or family member of the uh, the person, the victim, or the missing person we're writing about. And then we dig up anything we can. Um, most of the uh, the stories online have the original incident report so that, um, you know, people can take a look at that. And those are kind of fun to look at because they've changed a lot over the years. Um, and so this latest case has the incident report on it. Um, and so we uh, each of each of the unresolves has a um, a story, a podcast and then some other elements to it. So we try to make it as, you know, in depth of a, of a package as we can. And then in this case, a podcast of a podcast. I don't think there's another podcast in there. Maybe just two. What, what I find fascinating about this particular, I mean, they're all fascinating and, and, and tragic. I mean, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about murder here. I mean, it's it, it kind of has become a, a thing, podcasts about, you know, murders and, and, you know, but at the end of all these, or it's a victim and there's victims' families and, and it's certainly underlying tragedy. But what's interesting, if I can use that phrase, about this is the setting. You know, it, it just was... A lot of times a body is found in the woods or someone is missing or, you know, there's family strike. But this was in a very public place. Yes, yes. So this uh, this murder happened at the Summit Drive-In Theater, which was um, uh, right there in Coventry Township. There's an Acme store there now. So the drive-in isn't there any longer. This was really in the heyday of drive-ins. Um, you know, there's still a few around in, in our area, but not as many as there used to be. And this was a really popular hangout for, um, you know, for families to go. And then, um, like, uh, Jeff and his buddy, uh, who went to see movies that night, you know, high school or recent graduates would go and maybe, uh, you know, sit on top of their car and have a beer and, and watch some flicks. Well, in this case, I, I'm sure you're a diligent reporter. What what were the movies that were showing? Was it a single feature or a double feature that night? There was a double feature that night, and the first uh, the first show that they watched that was they just finished shortly before um, the uh, Jeff was stabbed is called The Exterminator, and it's a 1980s uh, film about 
um, a, a guy whose buddy, they're Vietnam veterans, and his buddy gets beat up by this gang. And so he uh, sets out to get revenge on them and kills a bunch of them. So uh, that's the first one. Um, and Born to Kill, the second feature, is just starting when uh, when this uh, this confrontation happens between Jeff and his assailant, and he is uh, stabbed and unfortunately dies. Now, as, as we said, there there were people around, right? I mean, I mean, Jeff had his friend there, and there are other people in cars. I mean, it's just kind of baffling that this became such a unsolved case. I mean, how did it transpire? Well, so it wasn't a huge crowd that night. We understand from the Summit County Sheriff's uh, detectives we talked to, but there were some people there. Um, and so there's a, a, a black male who is in a long black trench coat and he's walking past uh, the car that Jeff and his buddy are sitting on uh, watching the movie and uh there's the guy who's passing mutters something to Jeff and then Jeff jumps off of his car goes after the guy uh, they exchange some more words and then Jeff turns around and comes back to his friend's toward his friend's car and says i've been stabbed and falls to the ground so that's kind of the uh the order of you know kind of a, what happens then, uh, as you mentioned, there are people there. So the sheriff's detectives talk to anybody they can find. Um, and in fact, they uh, use a technique that isn't used as often these days. They put a lot of them under hypnosis and uh, try to help them to remember any details about the guy or about what happened and uh, what they end up with, uh, unfortunately, at least in the early days of the case, is some kind of conflicting information from different people about what they saw and what the guy looked like and, and that kind of thing. But then again, it's, you know, 930 at night and, um, you know, it's dark at a drive-in. So it's, I guess maybe it's kind of understandable that uh, they might not be clear on exactly what they saw. And there's some of those accounts were conflicting a little bit. Yes, yes. So some people thought it was just the guy in the long uh, black trench coat. Um, some people said that it was that guy with a white guy as well. Um, and so they actually did a composite drawing uh, based on some of the um, the uh, descriptions they got from people. And they they put two composites on this reward poster. And they don't look anything alike, which I think is one of the interesting things about the case. Uh, you know, one of the guys clearly looks like an African-American male. The other one is either a light-skinned white guy or... Or, um, or Dracula. It looks a little yeah, bit... Yeah, or Dracula, exactly. Yeah. Closely resemble Dracula. Yes, he does. He does. So, so <laughs> yeah. So the so case kind of, you know, there was a public outcry. I mean, not public, you know, the police asked for help and, and the case kind of language. And they, but I understand that, that um, Jeffrey's mother filed a lawsuit related to this case. She did. So uh, Patricia Sauber uh, filed a lawsuit against the drive-in theater because she said that she thought that the exterminator, because it was such a, a violent movie, um, might have um, incited this, this uh, unknown man to stab her son. So she actually did file a lawsuit against against the theater for that. 
Now, um, we don't know exactly what happened with the lawsuit. Initially, it was thrown out. Then the Ninth District Court of Appeals um, threw it back to the, the trial court because they said that there was a witness who heard this man say, I am the exterminator. So which might lend credence to the possibility that he was influenced by the movie. And uh, then after that, there's nothing in the file. It could be that the case got settled. But unfortunately, the um, the clerk office file uh, doesn't say. So we don't know exactly what happened to the lawsuit ultimately. So I guess I'm curious. I mean, a weapon was never found, right? Right. So they ended up they found a uh, a knife near in that general area at the drive-in, but they figured out it was um, a knife used to flay fish and that it didn't have anything to do with the murder. And then years later, they've gotten a couple of different witnesses who've come forward. And there was one in 1993 who claimed he knew who had killed uh, Jeff and he knew where the knives were. And they went and retrieved these knives, and none of them, they, they didn't find any DNA or anything on the knives that would uh, would link them to to this murder. So, yeah, they still, as far as, as, far as we know, they haven't found uh, the weapon that was used uh, to stab Jeff. So in this case, it's more of no forensic evidence. I mean, this is not going to be solved by modern techniques, or it's going to come down to a direct witness or maybe remorse. Right, right. And that was that was kind of what the detectives told us that, you know, they they still hope that there might be somebody who knows something um, who hasn't talked to them yet, who will come forward and say, you know, what whatever information they have. Um, they said they do not think that um, the that this likely would come from the um, the assailant but might come from somebody else who, who knows, knows something about what happened. So that's still what they're hoping. And what about Jeff's family? Are they, did you speak to them? I, we tried to find them. We, uh, unfortunately were not able to, I, we believe that they, um, have moved out of the area and, uh, might be down in Florida. Uh, Jeff's, uh, mom at this point would be, uh, in her eighties. And so uh, we actually uh, sent letters to the most recent addresses we could find for um, for both the mother and for Michael, who is um, Jeff's younger brother, who was interestingly at the drive-in that night, but had been told he needed to leave after the first feature. He was uh, 15. He was younger than his brother. And so he wasn't there for the sta- for when his brother was stabbed. And um, his mom told the beacon that he had a lot of guilt over that um, for many years after after this happened. He felt like maybe if he had been there, he could have um, could have done something to help his brother. So this isn't necessarily uncommon in, in cold cases for you know family members to die off or simply move away or maybe the pain's too much to even talk. So I I, I guess what I what my question is. What what kind of drives these cold cases? Is it just a detective handing down before he retires that this one bothers me, you know, or or I mean, what 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 keeps these type of cases alive? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, you know, for for the detectives who've worked these cases, um, you know, there's nobody still with the sheriff's office who worked this case originally, but there are several several people there who have taken another look at it. Um, they did. You mentioned uh, forensic evidence and. Um, uh, 
the most recent thing they did, I believe, was in 2009. And they took a bunch of different evidence from this and submitted it to the state crime lab, hoping they would get some some kind of usable DNA. They didn't. Um, so, you know, thing, doing things like that, I think, um, keeps these cases, even though they go back a ways fresh in the minds of um, of the uh, the detectives who still want to try to solve them. So I think that's that's the hope in this. And um, they do have a suspect in this case, too. Is there anything new on the suspect or is it just? Well, it's interesting. They, the, what they would tell us is that they have a suspect who lives in Barberton. And that is the extent of what they were what they were willing to say. So, uh, yeah, that's that's about uh, that's about what we know about this person. Um, but uh, but like I said, they're they're hoping that anybody with the information will step forward and that might give them you know, the additional um, ammunition they need um, to try to charge this person. So I was going to real quick give the uh, phone number. If anybody is listening to the podcast and has any information on this case, the sheriff's office, you can call them at 330-643-2131. Well, that, and that brings up a point. I mean, you, you think about all the digital fingerprints you and I leave every day, you know, and back then there were no, you know, I mean, our cars can sometimes tell authorities where we're at. Our phones can tell people, you know, investigators where we're at, our credit cards, you know, and back then it was cash. You didn't have any cell phones. I mean, it was just a very different time in terms of police work and just, you know, the the, the ways to maybe help solve a crime. I mean, it, it really is a, a then and now kind of thing. Definitely, it is. I've so often when we've talked to detectives on these cold cases, they will say, "If this case happened today, we'd have it solved." But you know, we don't. They don't have you know, like even surveillance cameras. That's another really big thing. There are so many cameras, and then you know, even the the personal surveillance, the ring doorbell cameras and stuff. I've written recently about um, crimes being solved because of, of those. And yeah, you didn't have you didn't have a lot of that. I imagine this drive-in didn't have surveillance cameras on the concession stand or whatever that was nearby where this happened. You know, it was just it was a different time. And so well, those, police response. I mean, think about today if something were to happen, there's probably five people on the phones calling nine one one. And back then it wasn't nine one one. You had to remember the phone number for the police department, EGADS, which was you know <laughs> a long number, and running to the concession stand and hoping that you know it just. It's just a really different time. You you kind of forget the the settings back then of, of just how how different it, it it was. It's like old timers. How different it was back then. But that's right. It really was. Craig, we're getting old. Well, you know, I'm already old. But so, what if people have an idea for another case for the for the series? Is there a way to reach you or right. call? And- yes, yes. So. So um, what we suggest, if you if you have a cold case that you want to suggest that we uh, take a look at, um, send me an email. And my email address is swarsmith, that's W-A-R-S-M-I-T-H, at thebeaconjournal.com. And we keep a very long list of, of cases that uh, that we want to try to explore. Um, and uh, we're going to try to get to as many as we can as long as we um are able to keep this up. So, uh, yeah, definitely drop us a line and um, and uh, we'll try to see if we can get to your case. Now, I was kind of counting on my fingers, and I don't think I got to my toes a number of 
stories you and cases you have looked at so far. I mean, has there been a significant update on any of the previous ones results? That that is a good question. So we. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I saved the best one for last. <laughs> um, we want to do an update. Paula and I want to do an update story at some point here because um, we have heard um, back from some of the different people involved in the cases we've written about, um, you know, over the years. Um, like I mentioned the Leslie Barker case earlier, and um, we tried to reach she was the teacher who was found burned to death in her car. And uh, we tried to reach the friend who was with her, who went out that night with her, and we weren't able to reach her. But then she um, contacted us after, um, after the story and uh, podcast ran and uh, gave us her theories on what she thought happened. And so that's an example of, um, you know, something that we weren't able to get when we did the original series. And we'd like to really, um, um, you know, uh, spin it forward and talk um, talk about what Kathy thinks um, likely happened to her friend that night. So, um, you know, we we are always uh, looking for and hoping for new developments. And I really want to write the story where they solve one of these cases. And unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet, but I haven't given up hope. And, and well, hope. And, and that, that's kind of maybe what what this is about, maybe hope for the families. And, and I like the word nudge too, and, and maybe nudge witnesses and, and even maybe investigators to, to kind of like, all right, let's take a fresh set of eyes at this. You know, let's blow everything up and, and, and start from the very beginning and look at every piece of evidence. And, and isn't that kind of the ultimate goal with, with unresolved is to take the un part of it, right? Out and, uh. Exactly. Yeah, there was one case, the Akron, there's a couple of Akron detectives who have been really great working with us on, on this series. And I know one of the cases that we uh, asked them about, um, they uh, hadn't looked at it in a lot of years and they actually did some DNA, got some DNA testing done because of the fact that we were asking about it. Now, unfortunately, they didn't get any DNA like they were hoping that would be useful for the case. But I do think that, um, yeah, that this might be, um, you know, prompting them to do some more, more work on them, but then also just getting it out there. And, you know, maybe there's somebody who, you know, knows what happened or has information on, on what happened to Jeff that night. And, um, you know, is like, okay, enough time's gone by here. The family and everybody deserves to know what happened to this, um, this young man. So that's the hope. Take the on out. I like that. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will come back and, and reconvene when we have that resolved case. And, um, when you work on future things. So, so thank you so much and, and, and say hello to Paula for all of us. All right. Thanks, Craig. That's all the time we have today. And we've reached the end of our show for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday or thereabouts wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And they're also available on beaconjournal.com and our various apps. Before we go, we have to thank our producer, BJ Lisko, for making this all possible. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. And as you know the routine, if you've already signed up, you have mine and all of our heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron.